Welcome to the Collective West podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to supporting young people in Melbourne's West. My name is Julia. And I'm Michael. Well, welcome to Collective West. Woo! So excited to have our very, very first special guests join us live currently in the studio. And that is Real Dorrington, our amazing mentor. Welcome, Real. Thank you. Here we are. Now, this episode is a little bit special in the sense that we have decided to make a little mini series for International Women's Day in celebration and will be released in March. With that being said, we've decided to kick out Michael for the next couple of episodes and I'll be the one anchoring this podcast and Michael will be doing all the behind the scenes work. So he's here and I can see that he's uh, very tempted to get on the microphone, but for the next few episodes, it's just going to be me and our special guests. And definitely for tonight, it is Real Dorrington. So tell us, Real, who are you? And I guess, how are we related? So I am Real Dorrington and I am woman, hear me raw. She's in keeping with our theme today. And I'm passionate about gender equality and nurturing young people's potential. Firstly, I'd like to begin by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people who are the traditional custodians of the land on which we're meeting for this podcast today. And I'd also like to pay my respects to their elders, past and present of the Kulin Nation, and extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening to this podcast. So how we know each other is that I was recently the CEO of Western Chances for 12 years, and I left in December. And I've known you since you were 16, (laughs) when you were a scholarship recipient, and then you came to work at Western Chances while you are at university. And then when you started your business, I employed you to run our events at Mm -hmm. Western Chances. And I've moved on because I felt like it was time to pass the baton. And now I'm just having a very nice long break, figuring out my next step. Yeah, of course. I've been um, seeing all these amazing photos of your mini holiday trips around Victoria, which has been fantastic. I would say probably my first mentor and still my mentor today. And Michael, I can see he's twitching because he would say that you are also his (laughs) mentor. (laughs) And uh, yeah, definitely, you know, Western Chances has played a significant role in both our lives over the past 12 years. And I, I think when we met, I just received my first scholarship and you just started out as the Western Chances CEO. And I remember so clearly what a cool CEO you were. I was like, wow, you know, she's so down to earth. She, ha- she has this amazing title as the chief executive officer. I am in awe because I get the chance to meet with her. Uh, and then I went and did a speech for one of the functions and we got on a train together and we were like just having these great conversations. And I just thought to myself, how lucky am I to be in the presence of a CEO? And I remember very clearly that you made a promise to me because you said, oh, what kind of opportunities do you want? And I said, I would love a chance to, you know, work more in events because that's what I was pursuing. And you said, no problems. I'm going to go back to the office and work on that and get you involved in the Lynx program. And I'm going to tell everyone now that at that moment, as a, you know, 16-year-old girl, I really thought as if... I'm in a, in a train with the CEO as if she's going to actually deliver on what she promised. And I remember that afternoon after the speech, she emailed me straight away and said, hey, you know, come in and work with us. And that kind of all spiralled from there. So I owe a lot to Western Chances, but in particular to our friendship and your mentorship. So it's pretty incredible. And I'm so excited that you are our first guest as part of this podcast. And I'm very excited to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. <laughs> 
you are you are top on the list. That's for sure. Now I'm keen to know because obviously with your role as the former CEO of Western Chances. Western Chances is all about the West, supporting young people in Melbourne's West. What were some of the things that you discovered along the way in your journey as a CEO and some of the challenges that you found that young people were facing? Well, so my my connection to young people, as you said, is through Western Chances and our I keep speaking like I still work there, but it's only just recent. But Western Chances' work with young people is award scholarships to ensure that young people have equal opportunity and access to education to fulfil their potential. And we were trying to pull down the barriers mm. for our, for young people in, in Melbourne's West. Providing scholarships helped them to complete their education and go on to further education and hopefully fulfil their potential. The barriers for young women in particular, are, well, I think they're, they're just the barriers for all women, actually. It's the gender pay gap and the patriarchy in, in terms of how many men are on boards and in careers that young women haven't had access to, like engineering. I've got a friend who's an engineer at a big construction company. She's one of the only women in the company. And not only did some of our Western Chancellor scholarship recipients have barriers to getting into engineering, but then when you get into those workplaces, those sectors, then you really realise it's a man's world. Yep. And just the gendered language, the unequal treatment of women in the boardroom and in those production workplaces is just... Mm. On. Now, Vril, I'm really interested in diving through some of the, I guess, challenges that you've faced as well, and I'm sure there was plenty, and your background beyond Western Chances prior to that is quite diverse and quite interesting as well. So maybe if you can give us a recap on what you've done prior to Western Chances, and then I would love to dive into some of the challenges that you've faced as a female boss, you know, a boss lady, and um, how you've since overcome some of these challenges. So I've had a very checkered career. So <laughs> I finished my VCE and it was VCE then. We were the first VCE students and I didn't go to university because I had a boyfriend who had cancer and he died of leukaemia. I wish I had gone to university but at that time I was just not in that headspace. So I went straight into working in hospitality and then I started working for the Variety Club at 19 and I worked my way up to be state manager and I, that was about 24. And then when I was 25, been there for a few years, I decided to go travelling, backpacking, well, indefinitely. And my dad had cancer, so I ended up having to come back early and my brother was running a family restaurant and I ended up helping out and that was in Carlton. <laughs> and then I worked for... I actually did a stint as a waiter on the tram car restaurant. Right. To save money for my next overseas trip. Yep. So my dad died and I kept working at the restaurant. Then I worked for tram car, saved money to go overseas. I also worked for a Labor Victorian MP and that was in 96, 97. And then 98, I went back overseas to finish where I'd left off and I ended up living there for 10 years and I remember that Victorian MP so it was because Labor were in op opposition then and I remember him saying you're an idiot for leaving because we're going to get into government but I just knew I needed to go overseas and that was one of my lifelong ambitions and then they did get into government. All right. <laughs> 
while I was away. And I was I wonder actually, which MP that might be. I, <laughs> I did some temp work and I ended up working at the Financial Times in the conference department of the Financial Times and it was right. all women. Wow. I think there was m- maybe one male or one or two but it was predominantly women and so I, I, that was the first time I sort of felt like I've arrived. So when I was working in hospitality, there was a lot of sexism. Head chefs were really angry and sexist and treated me like I was stupid. So when I got to Financial Times, that was great. I was there for years. Then I decided to move on. I got a temp job at a very interesting private members club called the Chelsea Arts Club. Now, there's a lot of right. <laughs> men's clubs in the world, but this was mixed. Okay. And and it was pretty out there because it was the art community and... Yeah, I saw a lot of stuff going on there and a lot of, a lot of <laughs> celebrities. Like another episode, After Dark Edition. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Then I got another job temping at a media buying company with a female CEO and that was pretty unusual and she was absolutely amazing. I loved working with her. I noticed all the barriers that she came up against. People have all these names for women leaders, fierce, feisty, bossy, aggressive, all these things that you never say about men. Or even just saying strong women. No one says strong man. They might say powerful man, but they don't say strong and feisty man. She wanted to employ me full time, but I got wind of a job working for a UK supermodel. (laughs) I was weighing it all up because I thought I'm, I'm not sure whether I want to work for an A-list celebrity because I've worked for C-list celebrities in Australia and they were a nightmare so I can only imagine what an A-lister would be like. So I was a bit reticent about taking that on and in the end I did, long story short, I did. I did that for a few months and that was interesting. And <laughs> <laughs> I can see the hesitation. <laughs> and, then, and then after I left that job, I travelled to Greece and decided that I was going to just backpacking. And then I had a, a major bike accident in Greece where I broke my back and I was in hospital for three months in wow. Greece, in two hospitals in Greece and then two hospitals in the UK. And then re-evaluated my life and career and thought I want to stop being a PA and I need to throw myself off the cliff. I had some life coaching and careers coaching and I remember going through job ads and constantly thinking I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't yeah. do that. And I and it's a typical female reaction is yes. to or approach is to look at a job and think I can do everything. Oh, I can't do that one thing. So I can't do that job with my careers coaching and and some incredible women around me. I went for a job as a project manager at a local council and I yeah, threw myself off the cliff. Got the got the job. The the female leader there, she changed my life and she took a punt on me and she knew that I didn't have the experience to do the job, but she felt that I had transferable skills. And I remember being in the toilet on the first day of that job ringing my partner and saying, 
I can't do it. I can't do it. And he's saying, yes, you can. Yeah. You can do it. You can yeah. do it. He was actually really a really wonderful partner and person in that he said, you can do anything. So that really, that started what I say now is my career, my passion. Yeah, yeah. Work. I was working with young people. I was surrounded by women who were amazing and I learned so much from them. And I was surrounded by men who were feminists. And I think that kind of changed my thinking on some areas of gender inequality and it made me want to seek out being with more male feminists. Then I decided after 10 years I should come back to Australia. Well, not should. I wanted to because I miss my family and it was much better weather here, great lifestyle, and I just felt like I wasn't settling anywhere. I was in these share houses and house minding and I thought, why why aren't I settling down mm-hmm. into a, you know, buying a place? Or Are you at, in your 30s at this point? So I was, yeah, so when I got back, I was 30, 39, and then I found out about the Western Chances job, and I had three women, so my sister and two of her friends saying, Terry Brax is looking for a full-time CEO because the last female CEO is leaving. My sister and her friends were saying, you've got to go for this job, and I said, I can't do it. I can't be a CEO. (laughs) (laughs) And then they said, you're an idiot. If you don't go for that job, you're an idiot. And so I say that I was bullied into going for the job. Yeah. But they say I I was encouraged to go for the job. (laughs) Anyway, I got the job and it's a very long story. And it's been challenging in terms of being a CEO and fundraising and managing people and the buck stops with you and reporting to to a board. And as a woman, I would say that, you know, I experience gender inequality and I well I see it every day but I would say that Melbourne's West I felt like it was the place that was most like London in its diversity I also felt like from where I'd come from working with these amazing people who were sort of progressive in terms of gender equality I I felt like that in Melbourne's West and I want to shout out to the organizations that I've worked with like Western Health Western Bulldogs Victoria University and of course Western Chances mm-hmm and the arts organisations out there and JT Production Management (laughs) and FYA, YLAB, all these organisations who I think are getting it right in terms of gender equality. I'm a bit biased towards the West. I say West is best, chuck out the rest. Fair Uh, enough. So am I. I could say that maybe (laughs) they're getting it right more than other areas of Melbourne. Controversial. That was a very long-winded answer. Sorry wow. about that. No, no. That was great. I just feel like I've just got a, a great snapshot of your life. I mean, you call it checkered, but I think it's colourful and it's so adventurous. I guess I'm really curious to know, I mean, you mentioned the idea of like looking at a job description and identifying things and then realising, oh, actually, you know, I'm missing a particular skill and I can't do it and Mm. uh, you know currently I'm I'm actually in the process of mentoring a couple of other young people and I've had exact same experience where this particular girl came to me with a a CV that she's hoping to apply for a job and the same thing she was just like oh I I can do this and this and this but I'm lacking this particular skill and she's like I don't think I'm the right fit and she's already talking herself out of it and I'm like hold on a second (laughs) you know like you've got to really push yourself and encourage yourself and just take a stab in the dark and what was your phrase? Jump over the cliff and, mm. and see how you go. Jump, with jump off the cliff, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh yeah, ju- don't jump lemming. over. Jump off the cliff. Yeah. 
<laughs> so that was what I was encouraging her. But when you are in doubt and you're feeling nervous and you're unsure of yourself and, you know, what were some of the things that you did for yourself or referred to or, or you know, who did you talk to to try to help you take that leap of faith? Well, I always, always tap into the sisterhood. There's been many people I've met, many CEOs I've met who've said, I feel lonely. I feel lonely at the top. I feel lonely as a CEO. And I don't think there's been one day in my CEO career of 12 years that I've ever felt lonely because I just tap into every support network. So my sister has been amazing. My friends, my peers, other CEOs of not-for-profits, people that I've met along the way, women I've met along the way and men and amazing men who have been so encouraging and so I'm just constantly surrounded by all these amazing people and also I, re- I read a lot of books to pump you up and podcasts. If Michael was interviewing you, he'd be jumping up and down right now <laughs> and probably <laughs> referencing a million and one books, <laughs> am I right? <laughs> I love, I get so, so motivated by reading books and listening to podcasts. So there's so many podcasts I listen to that where people are talking about the imposter syndrome and about their challenges, men and women. And also I believe in meditation and mindfulness. I don't do it enough, but I believe in it and I think that helps. And I just try and get rid of the negative talk. I think we're more mean to ourselves mostly, apart from narcissists, sociopaths, psychopaths and all the paths. (laughs) Well, except for naturopaths. (laughs) (laughs) I think that... Generally, people are more mean to themselves than they are to anybody else in their lives and I just try and listen to that little voice saying, you're not good enough or you did a shit job or you're an imposter and I just think, don't be so mean. Mm. (laughs) That's so true. I think that's so true and I can resonate a lot with that and I don't know how you felt real across, you know, your 12 years as a, a female, you know, CEO, a boss of a, a growing organisation, day in, day out. I've seen the way you work, mental sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of people you have to liaise with, meet, network, you know, you've got targets, you've got pressure, uh, you know, to fundraise, obviously, and then obviously to look after your team and so forth. You know, JT as an organisation, we're much, we're, we're small and we don't necessarily have those kind of target and it's a different field, but I definitely feel a lot of that kind of pressure especially being a female boss as well like I don't know I feel like other people look at you and go they expect a lot out of your role and they expect you to continue to impress and continue to do well in your position and there's this crazy pressure and yeah that little voice does pop up quite often sometimes and you're like just shush you know (laughs) how do you go on Um, (laughs) but I really like the fact that you touched on the imposter syndrome because that's something that Michael and I have discussed and we we did an episode on that as well feeling like you know you're not good enough for the role or you're just pretending or or feeling big shoes aside from the I guess the strategies that you've shared already do you have any other insights for our young people listening in terms of how to handle imposter syndrome I think you need to talk to people and not just bottle it up I would say most people have imposter syndrome or have had it. It's probably best to have a bit of it because it probably keeps us on our toes. Maybe keeps us from being too egotistical or helps us to learn more, helps us to be more communicative in talking to people about it. So I feel like it's really about communicating with many people as possible and trying really hard, like I said, with the meditation and mindfulness and all that, trying to name those feelings and then let it go like frozen (laughs) let it go (laughs) 
song. Let I it love, go. I love Let that. <laughs> I feel like doing the podcast for me is a good way of talking about it as well. You know how you're yeah. saying it's a good practice to actually talk to people. I feel like Michael's the person. <laughs> He has to listen to a lot of it and we kind of bounce off each other in, in that way. And it's a good way for me to kind of overcome some of my imposter syndrome, especially trying to run a business and make things happen in, in the COVID world this year in particular. Now, Real, I'm keen to know, and given that the theme is to hashtag choose to challenge, what do you want to challenge in 2021? Well, choose to challenge. I like to pull people up more, everybody both women and men, on the language that we use. And I know people go on about political correctness. I don't even, I don't even believe in political correctness. I, I think it's about respect. I hear people saying things like man up and grow some balls and I think we have to stop saying that. I, I don't do it enough. I don't challenge people enough on that. But I, when I was preparing for this podcast, I just wanted to – write some stuff down and I wrote like pages of stuff (laughs) in terms of the language that we use and I thought even manager has man in the word. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. And mailman and fisherman and cameraman and cleaning lady, not cleaning man and even she has he in it. (laughs) So I just feel like... An actor, obviously... I realised over time because I, you know, obviously the degree that I did was in theatre and for a long time when I was calling our female actors actress, I mm. got corrected by directors saying that, no, yeah, you should just call everyone actors now. People say, are more likely to say chairperson now. I say chair, but some people say chairperson or chairwoman. And so people are seeing that as an important language change. So I think all of these, I know you can't change she, it's got he in it and manager's a bit difficult, whatever, but <laughs> I, I do think there's a lot of language that we should be thinking about changing and calling people out on when they say man up or grow some balls or whatever. Challenge them on it. What can we say? It's about courage. So yeah, I feel like I, I want to challenge people more on that and I would also like people to not get offended and defensive about that because... I sometimes have been turned off challenging people on those things because they get very defensive, particularly men, even women, lots of people, and they go, oh, God, what next? And I just think it's really important. These are, some people would say, little things, but they all amount to up to big things. Absolutely. And it would make a, a huge difference if we could just pick off those sorts of things, then maybe that will help the whole lot of other areas as well. Definitely. Builds a culture. Yeah, so just challenge my friends and also ask men to become more allies. So they they need to do more. So it's always up to us to try and challenge everybody. Why can't men do it? Why can't men, when they hear their friends saying stuff or anyone, why can't they say, no, no, you can't say that? So I challenge my male friends to become more allies. will make a huge difference as well. But, you know, pain to get gain. It's going to be, it's hard to do that because people will just get annoyed with you. And I admire people like Clementine Ford. She doesn't, she just says everything and anything. And with all the shit that she cops, I would be rocking in a corner. The other person I think that also does a really good job is Tarang Chawla. I actually had an opportunity, a very lucky opportunity to work with him some years ago at a university together and that was straight off the incident of his sister being murdered and just watching him go through 
the trials with his family mm. and then just watching how he's been advocating and pushing for women's rights um, and just watching his Instagram. Like if anyone's checking out, they should jump on and check it out because this guy pulls people up on it left, right and centre and it's so good and it just reminds you on a day-to-day basis there are a lot of shit out there that people say. People of high power, people of political organisation who would say stuff without thinking twice about it and not realising the impact that it has on other people. Now, can I flip it and ask you about your experience as a as a young woman in Melbourne's West? I think I've got to say at, at the forefront, I really loved the fact that you commented on Melbourne's West and saying how diverse our community is and how welcoming and encouraging our community is. A hundred percent would agree. But I think that is also made up by the amazing organisations that we have in our community. And those who have access to it will definitely feel that. For instance, like Western Chances or Western Health or Western Bulldogs, of course, YLAB and F. YA and so forth. But as a young female growing up, I think, <laughs> you know, I faced a lot of financial challenges also than being female or male, but that masked the fact that, you know, you didn't think too much. It was probably when I got into university and then obviously starting a business and then trying to lead a team that it became a lot more apparent at the fact that I was always the young Asian female trying to hustle for business. And even though I know what I'm doing and I know exactly a great solution for a client, you're always kind of looked at with a different lens. And sometimes You know, when I was younger, I didn't notice it. But as you get older and you start to understand things more and you meet more people around you, you do start to pick up those moments where you're like, oh, okay. Even in a a networking scenario, sometimes you just see when you're talking to men that in a corporate sense, they'll they'll naturally veer to Victor, my, Mm. my business partner and my life partner, more so than me. And I don't see that naturally. You know, I'm not necessarily offended, but it, it is a bit, you know, there's a little fire in you that gets a bit frustrated because you're like, you know, I'm, I, I founded the business. I can answer all of your questions and I'm the one who is asking the question, but you're literally addressing him, <laughs> you know. And then, uh, yeah, so I've, I've definitely faced those kind of challenges. And luckily in the journey of JT production management of the eight years, we've had fantastic clients you know, 99.9%, everything's been very successful, but there's probably one or two cases that has been really interesting where culture and being a female has been pulled up on naturally in corporate settings. And it is quite challenging sitting in a room full of men and you need to hold your ground. I realise that the way that I've been kind of pushing and overcoming that is just knowing that, like you said, tapping into my networks and and my support system, which is obviously Victor and my my amazing family. You know, they're, they're really, really encouraged and coming really prepared for the bloody meetings and and just knowing what to expect like knowing that you're gonna get these kind of experiences but you're here for a purpose and you're just gonna power through so it's been a lot of kind of self-taught mechanism that I've put in place to kind of overcome that I don't think I've successfully overcome everything but it's been an interesting journey that's for sure yeah but you felt you've definitely felt all of those barriers yes (laughs) and when I when I talk about gender equality and my experience, I think, well, I, I'm a, a white, privileged, cis, heterosexual, child-free, partner-free woman. So I've, I haven't had so many experiences of, of discrimination as a, as a woman of colour, who's a single parent, mm-hmm. who is from a low socioeconomic background, who's an LGBTQIA+. There's a whole, I mean, that's a whole other conversation about inter- intersectional uh, feminism yep. 
But yeah, it's interesting because I, yeah, I feel like I see gender inequality everywhere, but I, and also women living with a disability and experiencing family violence. So I haven't experienced nearly as much as people from those communities or those sections of community. And when I talk about the privileges of men, I'm talking about mainly white, mm. middle-aged, cis, heterosexual men. Yep. <laughs> so I feel like I need to preface everything with that. <laughs> yeah. We've come so far, but we just haven't really come that far. Women only got the vote, Australia, in 1902, and Aboriginal women in 1962. It's just not that long ago. But the point is that, you know, it's the small increments that we're doing, changes that we can make in our day-to-day, and the people surrounding us immediately will contribute to the bigger picture eventually. Yeah, Yeah. because there's things that are unacceptable now that were acceptable years ago, and people don't think twice about some of the things that we don't say anymore. So there's another feminist social commentator, Jamila Rivsby, and I remember her saying that she was at a children's party and there were boys and girls coming down the fire pole. Every time a boy came down, oh, clapping, great, good job. Every time a girl came down, oh, you all right, you all right, and catching them. And I feel like that is, people say, oh, boys are rough, boys do this, boys do that. That's a social construct, I think, because we're all treating them a bit different and there's all the gendered clothes in major department stores and <laughs> even Jamila said she hardly ever drives and one of her kids or her only kid I can't remember said mummy why don't women drive and so she said oh my god I'm gonna have to it wasn't anything about wanting her husband to drive because he's a male it's because she doesn't like driving but she was like oh my god I've got to drive yeah yeah exactly <laughs> just to like reiterate the point yeah right yeah absolutely and I see that in my little niece as well because she's I should know this she just turned 10 no, no, she's just turned nine. And she goes through that at school. Like, it's crazy because, you know, boys teasing and all of that kind of mentality is like, why are you wearing blue socks and all of this kind of stuff? Yeah. And it's like, well, you know what? If I want to wear blue socks, I'm going to wear blue socks. <laughs> and my sister has to kind of like explain and build up her confidence in that as well. And I think I'm at my age where everyone keeps asking me, when am I going to have a baby? <laughs> like, I, and it's again, it's that fascinating thing. When it's business talk, they look at Victor. When it's baby talk, they they look at me and it's like, why is that, I you know? know? I'm like, it could be Victor's choice that, you know, not that we're making any decisions here on the live podcast. Who knows why you're not having children? Could yeah, a myriad reasons. Exactly. And I've had it over the past anyway? four months. I think almost every week I've had an incident. Like it's repeated time and time again, the people I bump into – continually asking like, oh, you look like you've put on weight, you're having a baby, you know, or are you guys ready to have a baby? Are you planning (laughs) to have a baby? But they never gear the question to him. They always gear it to me and I'm always like, you know what? I don't want to have a kid. <laughs> like, I've got my business and um, and, and my aunties and everyone who, who comes to me asking, or well, then they ask my parents, you know, is there something going wrong? <laughs> like what's happening? And it's the same mentality. And it's like she's a female, she's married, she's going to hit her 30s soon and she should be having a child. Well, you could say what I say <laughs> when people say, why don't you have kids? I say, I'm t- I've taken the green approach. <laughs> and they kind of go... Exactly. I'm like, you know what? I'd rather have another handbag or a car (laughs) right now. (laughs) Yeah, you know, two cats is enough for me. I don't. I never get angry at people asking. I kind of just, you know, respond to them and and just be like, no, I'm not 
pregnant. I don't plan on having kids because I'm focusing on my career. Yeah, well, and you, then, don't need you, know, to, you don't need to. Well, answer. yeah, but it's also I feel like I need to not necessarily explain for the sake of them thinking that, you know, why am I not having a kid? It's just more like to also educate them the fact that we're in 2021 and it's okay to not. Yeah, it's, it's bo- boggles, my, boggles my brain, actually. <laughs> now, what are, we, what are you going to challenge, though? Oh, what am I going to challenge? A similar wavelength to you, but I would probably say I think the peers around me and my social cohort, I would love to challenge everyone to, again, call out when they see something and think twice before using social media to publicise stuff. I definitely know that my cohort of people live on social media we we you know live and breathe that day in day out as much as we should be reducing it but you know Facebook Instagram LinkedIn Pinterest TikTok all influence our day-to-day life and it really shapes and I guess either helps or or, you know enhances the the inequality of women against men so it would be really great if people can start to kind of think twice about what they're posting and when they do see something that is a little bit funny, then then take a moment to kind of really acknowledge it and call it out. On social, what's the most people going to do? Unfriend you, but that's okay. <laughs> Don't be their friend in the first place. So <laughs> with that being said, I would love to kind of round out our chat with what kind of advice would you put on a billboard for all the young girls to see? Feminism equals equality and equality is good for everyone. There's something short. Short and punchy. And something that's not just directed at young women but everybody because feminism, there's a lot of people say, I'm not a feminist, I don't like that word. It's like it just means equality. What's wrong with it? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Don't you want equality? Like Julie Bishop, the politician, (laughs) I remember she probably believes in it now given how she was treated, politics, but she would say, oh, I don't like that word and I just think "What? why not? It's about equality. Who doesn't want that? Lots of people, but anyway. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we're making this podcast. (laughs) Why doesn't a a woman, an educated woman like that in a position of power, why doesn't she want to say she's a feminist and she could have a big impact on a lot of people if she just said it? Yeah, absolutely. But she probably does say it now. So (laughs) just to round out some of the tips that you've mentioned tonight in our podcast is to tap into your sisterhood. Uh, if you don't have an actual sister, tap into, you know, your brotherhood, <laughs> your parentshood, or uh, simply your friends. There's lots of other groups on social media as well that you can reach out to and share a lot of information. There's one that I would probably mention is, I think it's called Like-Minded Bitches. <laughs> <laughs> so good. You post anything and like a hundred other women will jump on and just mm. share their insights, share their tips, connect you with people. So willing to help each other. Love it. So highly recommend. Now you also mentioned that you love reading and uh, listening to podcasts. Obviously Collective West is on the number one list. But what other podcasts would you recommend as well? The Guilty Feminist a podcast called Fearless Conversations. Yeah. Oh yeah, obviously Collective West. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. I've twisted your arm to say that. <laughs> no, it's real. I was going to say at the end, you're doing an amazing job. It is a fantastic podcast. <laughs> I've got so many of them. The Mamma Mia podcast is good. The Pineapple Project. Mm, haven't heard of those. That would be good. Ladies, we need to talk. I really like Willosophy too because Will Anderson does great mm. interviews and he's a feminist. Yep. So I like. I like listening to men that I'd like to be with who are feminists. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's a good analogy. That's, good. That's a good way of doing it, real. <laughs> I think it would be a crime if I don't ask any books that you would recommend because I know Michael would love to write this down right now. How to Own the Room. I've, got a, I've actually got a pile of books on my bedside table that I haven't read because I love, I love reading these things but I don't. I'm not reading enough at the moment. The podcasts are taking over. So How to Own the Room by the Viv. Room. I'm going to butcher the surname. Grosskop. Yes, something like Women that. Women and the Art of Brilliant Speaking. And your final tip was really around mindfulness and meditation, which will hopefully help with that little voice that you might have playing in your head yeah. saying you can't do it or are you sure about it to really focus on your inner voice and, and changing that mindset around to be something like let's just jump off the cliff and we'll be all right. Let's As see. you have. Jump off, the, <laughs> jump off the cliff and you've got your support network helping you. Yeah, that's it. There's always going to be a parachute people somewhere. People love to help. Generally, I think people love to help. Absolutely. And I and can give advice. I can say that about you, Real, because I think I feel like of the 10 or 11 years of knowing each other, I've received lots of help from you and lots of tips and tricks that I have learned along the way and have helped me grow into the person that I am today. Not to get all sobby about it, but uh, <laughs> and I'm a sure sensational Michael, <laughs> person. I've done such a great job. <laughs> I'm sure Michael will absolutely joke. agree that your your support, you are definitely in our sisterhood in terms of our network where we know that we can reach out to you at any point in time. So thank you. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast as our very, very first guest. We are so excited. If you guys are listening, please give us some feedback. Let us know what you think. If you are already doing some of the tips and tricks that uh, really sharing today or what is your challenge for 2021 as well we would love to hear more uh, real anything else that you wanted to share with us before we sign off well I'd just like to say thank you for having me as your particularly as your first guest I'm honored and congratulations on the podcast I think that it is an amazing podcast for young people but I think that it's way beyond that because it's really it could be useful for everyone of every age and I'd like to shout out to your co-host who is a feminist yes. and I know he is because <laughs> I've known him for years and I say to him, what books are you reading? And he says, Clementine Ford, Fight Like a Girl and I'm like, yes. Yes, definitely. He's educating himself like <laughs> many other men should. <laughs> should, should, should. And you're not supposed to say should and I am. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Real. And uh, on behalf of Michael and I, we really appreciate your time and I have to do this for Michael's sake. Peace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>